Welcome back, everyone, to After the Sermon Ends. We know that after the sermon ends, the conversations can begin. Today, I am joined by Pastor Marcus Donaldson and our good friend Jacob Bowling, making his introduction to the podcast for the first time. How are you doing, Jacob? I'm doing well. How are you all doing? Doing well. Yeah. Doing well. Yep. Thanksgiving week, uh, it's uh, on vacation. World Cup started yesterday. A- any thoughts on the, the USA result? Terrible refereeing. Mm. Yeah. Marcus, you watched it? Ties are the same as a loss in my mind. Yeah, pretty disappointing. Great first half, not the not the greatest second half, but we're still rooting him on. I've been told by Marcus that if you think my voice is as a trout stream or as a river, then Jacob's voice is the same, if not better, than mine. So that's some that's some big big shoes to fill, Jacob. How do you how do you feel about that? Your voice being another trout stream. You think the podcast can handle both trout streams? Uh, I don't know. We'll see. But We're just floating in a tree in a sea of tranquility. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. But Marcus, you preached on First Peter uh, chapter one, continuing on there, verses 17 through 21 this week. Uh, why don't you give us a quick recap? Yep, it's one long sentence in the Greek, so we we tackled it at uh, at once, uh, all in one shot, and we covered really three things that that Peter covers in the verse. But like we saw last week, it's these imperatives, these verbs of command that really introduce Peter's main thought. And this one came at the the second part of verse 17, which is to conduct yourselves uh, with fear during the time of your exile or throughout the time of your exile, he writes. So there's a, a call to reverence, and then he grounds that in, uh, who God is. They know him as Father, but he's also the impartial judge who will judge each, each person according uh, to their works. And then we covered redemption. Um, and and that, that really, it's all supporting that main thought, mm-hmm. conducting yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile or throughout your life because God is the impartial judge and because you were bought with a price. And this price was no less than the eternal sinless son of God yeah. uh, giving his life to purchase us out of uh, our bondage to sin. And then uh, the last thing that we covered was the the result or yeah. what was all this for? And it was really just to point us back to the one true triune God so that our praise and our worship and our um, reverence would be directed towards him. Yeah. Uh, Jacob, did you have any big takeaways from Sunday's message? One of the things that, well, as I was listening to the message that I kind of took away is in verse 18, it talks about how we've inherited futile ways from our forefathers. Hmm. And to me, it reminded me a little bit of the first chapter of Isaiah, because that's the book I'm reading. And in it, you see the Lord speaking through Isaiah, and he goes and lists off all these ways that his people have kind of drifted away and all these things. But then you keep reading it, and it talks about, how the father the lord is going to redeem his people mm. and how these people aren't going to redeem themselves but the uh, lord is going to make them whole and righteous again um, and so there's some of that touched on sunday but when i was listening to marcus and reading it along with him you know that's kind of what i thought you know, yeah that was one of the things that stuck out to me a little bit that's good so yeah why don't we start there i was going to start with the the healthy fear that you were talking about but i'd um, since you brought that up on on the futile ways of our former life, like Marcus, so when it's when it's talking about th- those futile ways, what is that like specifically referring to? Meaningless, worthless, purposeless. Um, 
they don't result in, in anything. And so in context, right, like we could do a lot of good things here on earth and for other people, our fellow man. Um, but in, from the eternal perspective, that's all worthless. If, if it doesn't point you to God, if it doesn't glorify God, it's futile. And that can apply here in, in context. It can apply both to uh, Jews and Greeks. So to that point, or to the uh, to verse 18, what Peter has already said in the letter is that we've been redeemed from our former passions and then our former ignorance, and then these futile ways of life or our worthless and vain ways of living. They kind of he's building this up. So we, we extracted uh, from a few other places that we've covered, looked at that one, but it, it means the same thing. Like <laughs> we're redeemed from not only the, the passions that we used to have, the ignorance that we once were living in, but then again, these, these vain, worthless, purposeless ways of life that don't point us to God. And I think, again, we, we see this like, uh, not a, it's not a dichotomy, but we tend to think that, yeah, Peter's writing exclusively to Gentiles here because the Jews couldn't have had a purposeless or vain or a futile way of life. They had the law, et cetera. But we see, uh, just like Jacob was saying, this distortion throughout the Old Testament of the law. And then when Jesus, we just left the Sermon on the Mount, he's yeah. continually calling them out through his entire ministry, how the Pharisees and their followers were just distorting the law and just doing these worthless and uh, purposeless rituals and um, live in this certain way that they inherited from their forefathers, but in the end, didn't mean anything. Yeah, I was reading in my Bible this morning, my study Bible, on how it, when it's talking about how it was inherited from their forefathers, like that kind of signifies how it relates back to the, the Jewish people. It, like it, it's not just referring to the feudal ways of the the gentiles here and the, and the way that they're living but it's the the traditions it's the rituals and the things that the, the jews were trying to do to make themselves worthy of salvation and approval before god and basically the jews thought they were good because they were the ones that had the law right. even though they would set up all these unnecessary barriers to coming to god and even then they weren't even able to keep the full law and just all these barriers, like it's just, it, it's futile. Like, and I mean, I mean, Peter puts it perfectly. Like, it this will not save you. Only the blood of Jesus will. And that goes back even again to what I was saying in Isaiah one, where you read the first part of that, and all these people are offering up, you know, worship, quote unquote, to God, and He says, "What are you doing? This, this is worthless. I'm going to turn my face away from you, mm-hmm. just because it's all." done for show it's not done from the heart and that's what god is after he's after your heart not your actions or not your things yeah for sure yeah matthew 15 7 through 9 you hypocrites well did isaiah prophesy of you when he said this people honors me with their lips but their hearts are far from me in vain do they worship me teaching as doctrines the commandments of men it it <laughs> It, it cannot just be the Gentiles because it was also, according to Jesus, according to Isaiah, according to, uh, to a ton of New Testament, or sorry, excuse me, Old Testament prophets, it was both of these systems were worthless and vain or futile. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that also 
points to a little bit of people today where, you know, they think they're a Christian because their family was, or they think that, you know, because they do a lot of good deeds and that they're a good person, quote unquote, that they'll be okay before God. And, you know, what Peter is talking about here, going back to being judged and, and, and this call to fears, like there is an actual real bondage to sin in the flesh that we need to be redeemed from and a little bit of good works and um, a different status than somebody else across the world will not change that, will not change that need for redemption. So, yeah, so let's jump into that that call to fear a little bit. Um, just one introductory question that I had for both of y'all is like, you, you mentioned like driving a car, you know, a driver will have a healthy fear of getting in an accident. So they drive defensively and they drive more, yeah, more safely. So like, what are some other examples of healthy forms of fear that we experience in today's culture? I don't know. That was, that was really the, uh, that took a lot of energy to, to think about that. Uh, just the one. Yeah. Yeah. Just the one. No, um, on a serious note, we can imagine, you know, like going on top of the empire state building, you know, they have these like uh, things you put like a quarter in, I don't know how much it costs now, you know, inflation and stuff, but you, you can look around the city cause you're at an extremely high point. You could see the whole city and, um, there would be very few people who go up there if there wasn't a boundary protecting, protecting the, the edge. Yeah. Right. So the, this boundary, this edge, it allows people to enjoy, not only enjoy being up there, but also see and view, uh, these amazing views of the city. So I, I think in a same, in the same way, it's this fear, it protects us from living recklessly or essentially uh, falling over the edge, but it allows us to enjoy life and see uh, him working in our lives and the lives of others. Yeah. When, when we uh, live in this reverential fear. Mm. Any, any examples, Jacob? Uh, anecdotally, I know when I was deployed, I crossed the Atlantic on a big old ship and in the middle of the Atlantic, you stand out on the balcony and you just look around, there's nothing but ocean everywhere. And it's a massive, just 360 degree view of water. And in the same way that Marcos was saying how there's that barrier to stop you from kind of going off the edge of the Empire State Building, you have that same kind of mentality with the boat, with the ship, in that you know that if you fall off this thing, you're done, Mm -hmm. especially if it's at nighttime because no one can see you. Um, So I think when I was listening to Marcus and reading that, what I was thinking of is, one, that ocean metaphor and, you know, looking out at how big and how vast and how great it is and how it could easily just take someone out in an instant. Um, what I was thinking is as great as this is, how much greater is the creator you know, in all of that? And how much do we, how much do I truly appreciate his just massiveness, his yeah. glory and all of that? You know, it's easy to look at the ocean and be awed by that, but how much more so the person who put it there and who contains it. Right. Um, So that's what I was thinking when I was reading all that. Yeah, I was thinking about, like, just different relationships that people have with um, just different levels of authority. So, I mean, how how you talk to your friend is not going to be how you talk to a teacher necessarily or, um, or your parents. 
And then even more so, like how you talk to your parents is not going to be how you talk to the president of the United States or um, another even higher up for, like foreign official or um, just some authority over you. And I think sometimes we fail to grasp the enormity and the the position that God has in our lives as our creator because he created us and he created us with a purpose and he created us to be his righteous creation and then we're the ones that screw it up and like you said it on Sunday Marcus like he God will not tolerate sin in his presence and you know we 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 always love to emphasize and harp on like how loving and gracious he is and he is and and that's the beauty of God um, to us for us to know the gospel but we have to know why that is in the place in the first place we have to know that he can't have sin in his presence in heaven and there needed to be that redemption through the blood of Jesus. So, um, you know, like I, I always hear some, some of these, um, you know, some of the like mothers and daughters always talking about like how they're best friends. And it's like, you know, I, I'm better friends with my parents now because I'm a little older, but when I was a kid, like I wasn't best friends with them. Like they were there to put me in my place when I was messing up. And in the same way, like, there's, there's times for us to, for, for God to be a close friend in it, but there's also a time for him to be a disciplining father for us. Yeah. I, I think that, that we're, Peter's reminding his readers that he's both simultaneously, yeah. right? It's like he, he is as, uh, he relates to us as intimately as a father while simultaneously being an impartial judge. Um, we didn't talk too much about it because Peter has the the final judgment in view here, but this idea that God disciplines those whom he loves, um, and we see not only does God do it, but Jesus gives uh, the church authority to conduct church discipline. Um, in both of these concepts, uh, God's discipline, like you were just talking about, is something that we don't uh, like to emphasize or embrace. Uh, in modern Christianity, um, but then also church discipline is something that's fading away uh, quickly. So I think what we, you know, we, we talk pretty often here about the this pendulum that's swinging back and forth, and, and I, I may, I'd like to say that we're coming out of it, um, where it's just this grace-heavy thing, and we don't consider who God is in His holiness, Right, he is an impartial judge. He cannot and will not tolerate sin in his presence. Like not only will he not, but he because he is holy in his essence, he he can't. So um, that's why he disciplines us. That's why uh, the church is given authority to execute that discipline um, for the sake of of our holiness. Um, you know that progressive sanctification that we've been talking about. Any thoughts? No. Uh, just going on what you're saying, because I am a teacher and I have kind of that, I try to keep that dual role of you know disciplinarian, but also maintaining a good relationship with my students. Um, it's very evident that today, well, at least my students, they don't, I guess, understand the reason that we discipline. Mm. And it's very evident in the Bible that, you know, you discipline the ones you love and you do it to try to get them back on course. You do it to try to get them on, back on the right path. Yeah. Um, and I think sometimes I see myself in the place of my students where I don't want to be corrected. I don't want 
to be disciplined because whatever I'm doing, it makes me feel good. It's what I want to do. And yet, you know, the God's trying to give me a wake up call. Like, Hey, this is going to lead on the path of destruction. Yeah. Um, and it's been evident in my life in the past. And I hope that, you know, I'm mature enough now that we're all mature enough now to know that when we are being disciplined, we can recognize it for what it is and we can, you know, fall on our face in repentance and mourn over our sin and just get back on the right path and mm-hmm. continue to follow God. Yeah, that's good. And yeah, I mean, you just look at like, I mean, the, this verse right here in verse 17, where it's like, conduct, conduct yourselves with fear. It's like, that's not a verse that's emphasized much. Like you don't want, like no one is telling people to conduct their lives with fear, but it's a, it's a healthy fear. Like you, like you highlighted a fear of knowing that there is a holiness about God. There's a quote I read from, um, Matthew Henry in, in one of his commentaries on this passage, it says, holy confidence in God as a father and awful fear of him as a judge agree together and to regard God always as a judge makes him dear to us as a father. And like that, that verse right there, it's like, it doesn't make sense on the first reading of it, but the more you dive into it and the more you realize, like if you regard him and fear him as a judge of what he could do and then realize that he is a loving father towards us, redeeming us through the blood of Jesus. Like that's what makes him so much more dear to us. Yeah. Not only, um, that he, uh, that he will judge He's going to judge everybody according to the same standard, right? It, Peter says it in the, in the verse, according to each person's work or works. He, he judges impartially that without favoritism, right? So the believer and the unbeliever will all be judged by the same thing. Now the, the consequence of those, uh, of those judgments, right? Of the believer and unbeliever are going to have two different results, which we talked about on, um, on Sunday, right? The believer is going to be judged according to their works, which is, uh, faith and obedience to his revealed will but they won't be condemned, right? So, the unbeliever doesn't have that um, doesn't have that grace and that mercy, right? So, the unbeliever uh, will be condemned already. Jesus says, um, "The believer, even if all of their works are burnt up in this judgment, right? Because everybody's works are going to be tried by fire, they'll still be in heaven." The unbeliever, not the case. That's good. So to kind of close out here, um, let's let's talk about the actual redemption itself. Um, verses uh, twenty and twenty one, talking about how it says he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. I mean, so you you were talking about how you know the cross was plan A. From the very beginning, Jesus was foreknown before the foundation of the world. So could you explain that a, a little bit more? Yeah, so just to frame up redemption real quick, redemption refers to buying back, buying a slave or a prisoner of, or a prisoner of war back from their bondage. Uh, in this case, redemption, it views man as being in bondage or slavery to sin. Uh, and we can we've been reading Ephesians 2, we've been reading Romans 3, we've been reading several passages throughout all of scripture week after week. Uh, so we should at this point, if we've been paying attention, have a pretty good understanding that every person 
is is in bondage to sin, right? We don't sin or we don't we're not sinners because we sin, we sin because we're sinners. We are in bondage to it and it's it is so deeply rooted that we couldn't change it even if we want to. It is yeah. it is our nature. However, this uh, this redemption, this price, uh, this purchasing us out of that was uh, through uh, Jesus's death on the cross for our behalf. That's what Peter's pointing to when he says with his blood. It's not the the literal substance of his blood, but his entire uh, sacrificial work. So you were you were asking about the this foreknowledge. We see uh, in John one, uh, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Then we see later, uh, I, th- I believe it's in John one fourteen, but he says um, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. This this eternal sinless Son who was in heaven. Uh, with the Father and the Spirit from the beginning, right? Before human history began, he stepped down from heaven and took on sinful flesh, even though he was without sin, bore our sin on the cross. Um, And this wasn't a reaction to Adam and Eve's fall in the garden. It wasn't a reaction to the sinfulness of man throughout all of human history. Uh, it, it It was plan A from the beginning. I think it's important to kind of refocus our minds to keep that mentality that it was the plan and it wasn't a reaction because that was something that never really hit me or at least I never thought about until you were talking about it on Sunday is that this is, this has been the plan. This has been and always has been the way for the redemption of mankind. And it wasn't just some response to like what you said, Adam and Eve, what they did. Um, and we've been going through a little bit of that in our Wednesday groups mm-hmm. about uh, God's eternality and his uh, omniscience and all of this and how kind of that plays into it. And so I think that if we have that mentality that can maybe shape our attitudes a little bit more to an attitude of gratitude mm-hmm. for God and the Father and yeah. all that catchphrases, mm-hmm. buzzwords. Oh. Attitude of gratitude. Yeah, and Peter, he says that that this redemption, it wasn't through um, silver or gold. Uh, we see elsewhere, I believe it's Isaiah also, uh, he says that it's not with, no, it's not Isaiah. It's the First Corinthians 3, uh, not with precious stones, like with any valuable commodity that we may possess or be able to obtain, we cannot purchase our own redemption. Um, that is what Isaiah says, that we were... Uh, that we were sold for nothing and we will be bought without money. That Like, we can't buy our redemption. God, the creditor, uh, the one who the sin debt is owed to, it's he sets the terms of our redemption. He sets the price, and he set the price. The price was the blood of, of Jesus. And there's nothing, Scripture makes it very clear, nothing that we can do to save ourselves. So it's it's either accept the price, accept the sacrifice, or, or don't. But don't be fooled about the the consequences of rejecting that because uh, there's not going to be another sacrifice. It, it was once and for all, like yep. we read on Sunday. Yep. Um, and it, and it is, it is efficient for all, right? It, it is efficient for all who will accept his, uh, his sacrifice, his redemption on their behalf, but people reject it. Yeah. I mean the, the quote that stuck out to me from, from that was, when you said like all sin is against God and he sets the price for redemption. 
So like, he could have set it at, at whatever, but he set it at, like he said, like the price for sin is is death, and and there were, there's blood required, and that's why it says like it it's like a lamb without blemish, referring back to the Old Testament sacrificial system and Passover, that there needed to be a, a lamb or some other animal that needed to be slaughtered, and the blood poured out for the atonement of that sin. In the same way, and in a more perfect way, Jesus came and was that sacrifice for us using his blood to make that atonement now. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I've, I've heard it before, but just it was such a needed reminder for me on Sunday in particular of, it's like, this is what the gospel is. This is what the redemption means. It's not just that, you know, I get to feel better about myself or, you know, get out of hell free. But it's like, I am now redeemed. I have bought, been bought out of this bondage from sin. And now I'm free in him. It's like, that. W- it was su- such a needed reminder on Sunday. No, that's good what you said. It, it cost him everything and cost us nothing. Yeah. And that should motivate us to live, not, not just because of, well, primarily because of what God gave for our redemption, what he sacrificed for our redemption, but also... Because what that says about our souls, right? He, like, they are valuable to our loving Heavenly Father. He wants to be in a relationship with His creation. Um, he, he wants a people for Himself. And when we've seen it throughout all of Scripture. And one day we'll be in a, in a place where we will be face-to-face with the one who redeemed us, uh, with the one who, who bled and died for us, uh, because of our our sin. So a- any final thoughts from you guys on how we can better remind ourselves of this redemption and, or just any encouragements for the listener before we close out? Um, I started mentioning Isaiah, and I'll just, this is one of my favorite verses from Isaiah. Do one. it. It's verse 18, and you know I'm pretty sure it's well known, but it says, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, it shall be as white as snow, though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. And that for me is such a huge encouragement because it's, you know, it's the story of redemption. It's like, we can't do it on our own. And that's what we've been talking about. We are sinners and capable of getting out of our own sin. And we need someone to come and rescue us from that. And that person is God in the form of Jesus. That's God as the son. And, that's good. What was the reference on that again? Isaiah what? 118. Okay. Anything from you, Marcus, on final encouragements? Yeah, I I would just uh, reiterate what Jacob said. We need to keep redemption at the forefront of our mind. We, uh, especially here in the South, we, we like to say uh, saved, and, and that, it's a, it's a very powerful term, um, but when it's, when it's used so freely and, um, I would say so flippantly. Uh, redemption is that term that reminds us that our our salvation is one not not based on ourselves, but then also it was incredibly costly, a cost that we couldn't pay. Uh, but it again frames each person as a slave to sin and reminds us that that if we have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, that that we are are rescued that we are bought out of this 
this bondage to our former passions, our former ignorance, and our futile ways of life that characterized how we used to live and be. So we're called to be different. We're called to be and live as redeemed people. That's good. Well, appreciate both of y'all and just the the constant reminders we have here at, at City Church with your preaching, Marcus, and just a constant reminders from the Bible of of this redemption. And, and listener, if if you're struggling with that, if you think that you know the gospel has become dull and and old to you, that you that you have a hard time reminding yourself of of, of it, just try to find a new passage that sheds a new light on this redemption or on the sacrifice of, of Jesus, because they're, they're all there, mm-hmm. you know, and we, and we will never get tired of it if we are spurred on by the Holy spirit. So we're praying for you this week. Um, Marcus, where can they reach out if they need to, if they need to, if they have a question or anything like that, Josh X Richards at gmail.com. Yep. Got to throw that in there. But listener, thank you so much for joining us today. We hope that you're blessed by this conversation. We hope that you have a blessed Thanksgiving and that you remember just all the blessings that God has bestowed on you and you can live in that gratitude, have that attitude of gratitude, as Jacob would say. Always thankful for those catchphrases. But thank you again. Until next time. 